Now let's open our copies of God's Word to the book of Ephesians once again, Ephesians the sixth chapter. Our focus is on verse 18 primarily, but we will be focusing on 18 through 24 somewhat. I think it's important, however, that we go back to verse 10. So we'll begin reading at verse 10 of chapter 6 so that again we perceive the the broader context in which we find this call to prayer. Let me say something. I've noticed over the years in a variety of places in which I preach that sometimes when I preach on prayer, if body language tells anything, and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't, sometimes I think people have less interest in what's being preached. I think the reason for that is because prayer is not is not seen to be the essential truth and reality that it is. just doesn't have the, the part to play in some of our lives that it ought to have. And so I, w- I would like to see differently this morning. I would like to think differently and believe that we really are a people committed to prayer. And so we care about all of God's Word and we care about the theme that will be proclaimed this morning. Let's briefly pray before reading this portion of God's Word. We ask Heavenly Father now because we are weak and inadequate and cannot bless the word to the heart, that you would open the heart of minister and people and take this word that we, each of us, may recognize himself, herself, to be under its authority, and that you would so work through the powerful preaching of the gospel, the power that comes from the Spirit of God, not from any man, that our hearts may be transformed and changed, and that we, each of us, may be more and more sanctified who believe in Jesus. And that those who may be among us today who do not know you may be drawn out of darkness into light and will be granted saving faith in order that they may entrust their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone can redeem and save sinners. And so, Father, help us to see this morning as we pay attention to the Word of God as it is proclaimed and as we worship your name, that this is an integral, indispensable part of the battle to which you've called us against the evil one and for the cause of God and truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, let's begin reading at verse 10. This is the word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And this is where we take it up this morning at verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, 
that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Last week we saw that we are at war, that we are doing battle with the evil one. It is indeed a serious thing to recognize that we are as God's people at war. It was a call to arms, but from the text today we have a call to prayer, and the two are inseparable. The call to prayer comes in the midst of the battle, in the context of the battle with the evil one, and Paul stresses prayer as he calls upon us to do battle with the devil. So let's begin this call to prayer with an understanding of the place of prayer in the midst of the spiritual battle. So the first thing we want to see is the context of prayer the context of prayer. What is the context in which we as God's people pray? The context in which we as God's people pray is in the midst of the battle with the evil one. Will you read again verses 11 and 12? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And this, of course, was the text that we expounded last week. The cross brought a decisive breach in Paul's life and in ours. We belong to the age that is coming, but we do battle in this present evil world of darkness. In this battle, prayer is indispensable. In this battle, prayer is critical. And as we remember the formidable one against whom we fight, the evil one, we see that prayer is critical. He's called the devil here, but do you remember the names that are given to him throughout scripture? The evil one is called Satan, which means the accuser. He is the devil, Diabolos, the slanderer. He is called the adversary. He is called Beelzebul. He is the dragon. He is the god of this world, lowercase g. He is the tempter, the serpent, the roaring lion, the dragon. Hardly flattering titles. Joel Beakey in A recent article enumerates four strategies of the devil in the lives of God's people, and I would like to repeat them to you. Four strategies of the devil in the lives of God's people. First, the devil entices and leads off the path. In this, he tailors his enticements to our weakness. As Dr. Beakey says, each believer must be wary of his areas of weakness and make necessary fortification against them. Secondly, he attempts to overwhelm the believer by putting obstacles in his way. He confronts the believer, says Dr. Beakey, with apparent impasses, many of which are common, such as busyness, loneliness, and weariness. 
Of course, the answer to this is communion with God and consistent faithful attendance upon the means of grace. Let nothing but a genuine providential hindrance keep you from the means that God has appointed for your growth in grace. Thirdly, he places pitfalls for believers attempting to deceive regarding God and his truth. The answer to this, of course, is to so soak in the word of God that we can discern what is true and what is not according to his word. And then fourthly, Satan opposes each step of sanctification continually. Because the believer's progress is Satan's own regress, Satan relentlessly impedes or attempts to impede our obedience to the Lord and our growth in grace. So, the four strategies, he entices and leads off the path. He attempts to overwhelm the believer by putting obstacles in our way. He places pitfalls for believers attempting to deceive concerning God and his truth. And he opposes every step of our sanctification continually. That is the context in which you and I are called to pray. That is the battle against the evil one. Now I remind you that Satan is in principle defeated in the cross and in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and that when Jesus comes again the evil one will be thrown into the lake of fire at the end of the age. But the battle until then is still very real, very real. The time in which we live has been compared to D-Day. The first coming of Christ is compared to D-Day, the decisive battle of the war, making the ultimate defeat of the enemy possible. The return of Christ will be the day when the enemy is forced to lay down its arms and utterly surrender. We live between D-Day and V-Day, and it is in this context that we fight the spiritual battle of the bulge It is in this context that we pray and do battle with the evil one. Prayer is an essential part, essential part of that battle. But then as we move on in the text, we see the four alls of prayer. Now, any good commentator will point out these four alls of prayer, but you can see them very easily for yourself as we read verse 18. Look at it. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So let's look at these four alls. If in the battle what is critical is that we pray, the Apostle Paul has told us how to pray, where to focus. And he begins by saying all kinds of prayer, all prayer and supplication. Avail yourselves, Paul is saying, of all kinds of prayer. Prayer is the constant privilege of the Christian, suitable for every occasion. All prayer, as some versions read, means all kinds of prayer made in all kinds of circumstances. This means that we need to be specific in our prayers, that our prayer must suit the occasion. Today there is this need, tomorrow there will be another. So I ask you, how specific are you in your prayers? How definite are you in your prayers? But also, he says in verse 18, if you'll notice, on all occasions in the Spirit. We are to pray on all occasions in the Spirit, on all occasions at all times. 
not just in times of catastrophe. Some people pray long and hard when the bottom falls out, but never at any other time. Well, that's good to pray when the bottom falls out. We should, but if that's the only time in which we pray, we are simply using God rather than abiding in fellowship with Him. The essence of idolatry is God at my beck and call. Rather than that, what does Jesus tell us in Luke 18? Men ought always to pray and not faint. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says, pray without ceasing. In the Proverbs, we are told, in all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So on all occasions, at all times, with all kinds of prayer, we are to pray, and we are to do so in the Spirit, he says. Well, what does this mean? Well, some of our charismatic friends would tell you that that means speaking in tongues, but that's not what Paul means. What does he mean when he says praying in the Spirit? Well, it means that no one can come to God in any other way. To come in the Spirit is to come to God through Christ by the Spirit's working. Without the Spirit, your efforts to pray would be cold and ineffectual. And as one old minister said, cold prayers ask for denial. Isn't prayer an element of worship? Shouldn't it be offered with a passionate heart that is moved by the Holy Spirit, by His truth? And then it also means that it's a reminder of our open access that we have to the Father through our great intercessor, Christ Jesus, but also the Holy Spirit, because we are sons and daughters of the living God. And God has sent the Spirit of His Son in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we are to pray on all occasions in the Spirit. Well, I ask, are you doing that? Is this a reality in your life? Do you understand what Paul is saying? Do you understand what the preacher is preaching? But then notice also here in verse 18 that it says that we are to pray with all perseverance and attention, or all perseverance and petition, or all perseverance and supplication. As Paul says in Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. Do you pray because it is a sweet thing to commune with God? Or do you pray simply because it is a duty? The term perseverance does not imply drudgery. Perseverance rather implies a firm conviction that God will hear and answer our prayer and will supply our needs. Prayers are not fancies, they are reality. They relate to the great reality of the spiritual world in which we do warfare. Earnest desire and true faith are essentials in true prayer. God cannot deny himself. In persevering prayer, we pray back God's promises to him in faith. As Spurgeon somewhere said, our prayers are God's decrees in another shape. Now, that's a profound comment. Our prayers are God's decrees in another shape. God, who has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass, has also ordained the prayers of his people in bringing about what he has foreordained. So that our prayers are God's decree in another shape. Your prayers cannot effect or determine or change God's decree. But in prayer you learn to say to God with all of your heart, Thy will be done. 
You see, sin involves our total lack of sympathy with God's moral character. But as we are born again by the work of the Spirit of God, we are put back into sympathy with God's moral character. And so we begin to pray, Lord, accomplish your will. Lord, let your character and attributes shine through. Lord, bring about your glory in this circumstance and in my life. There is nothing more contemptible in theology and the Christian life than the view that God has subjected subjected the moral government of the universe to man's dictates. That's not what prayer is. You know, I have no reason to believe that God will answer my prayers if I am not dependent on His will and if I do not believe that He can and will answer me. He may in mercy answer me, but I have no reason to expect Him to answer if my prayer is not in faith. And faith is always grounded in the character of God. If we do not believe as Christians that God will answer our prayers, then there is something wrong in our doctrine of God and with our personal apprehension of God. Let us learn to trust our God, to talk with Him as a child does with his father, to trust Him even as Hezekiah spread out the letter before the Lord in Isaiah 37. So we are to pray with perseverance because we actually believe that God is who He is and He has promised to hear and to answer prayer. It's not something irksome. It is something in which we delight. Praying with perseverance means that we must stay with it. It is importunate prayer. Now hold your finger here and turn back to Luke 18 for a moment. And just remember this parable with very little comment from me that was told by our Lord Jesus in Luke 18 in the first eight verses. In Luke 18, the Lord Jesus says... He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Luke 18, now verse 2. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And so the Lord would have us engaged in the battle. And hypocrites know nothing of this. Jonathan Edwards said this, Hypocrites never counted the cost of perseverance in seeking God and of following him to the end of life, to continue instant in prayer with all perseverance to the end of life requires much care, watchfulness, and labor. For hypocrites, Edwards observes, prayer grows irksome and tedious. And for hypocrites, I would add, even a sermon on prayer must be irksome and tedious. 
But notice also in verse 18 of Ephesians 6 that we are to pray for all the saints. Let's read verse 18 again just to remember where we are. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints. For all the saints we are to pray. Look around you, my friend. Look at the needs of the saints all around you. The deep needs of your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Do you pray for them? Do you yearn for them to know the height, the depth, the length and breadth of the love of God in Christ? We know we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Well, do you pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you have bitterness in your heart? You cannot have bitterness for someone for whom you pray with all your might for his good. Affection for the saints is shown in prayer. So here we see the importance of intercessory prayer. Jesus, our great high priest, lives to make intercession for us. Should we not also intercede for those for whom he intercedes? Do you remember in the third chapter of Ephesians that the Apostle Paul tells us definitely how we are to pray one for another? He says we should pray that God's people be strengthened with God's power. Lord, may that person know the strength that comes from your absolute power. This person is weak, Lord, but you are strong in your invincible, almighty strength. Show your strength to this fellow believer in Christ. We are to pray that we know God's love, rooted and grounded in the four dimensions of God's love. As Stott put it, the love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind. It does, Jew and Gentile long enough to last for eternity, deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner, and high enough to exalt him to heaven. Lord, help my fellow believer to understand the dimensions of your love, that you really do love your people, and that that love is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Father, this person that is struggling really needs to know that you love him, really needs that you, to know that you love her. And you are to pray that we be filled with all God's fullness. Lord, that believer needs to be filled with your wisdom, with your knowledge, with your truth, with the blessedness of God. Will you help my fellow believer to pray to and to learn how to explore the Trinity on his knees as I do? Don't you think that there are fellow believers all around you that need that kind of prayer? that kind of concern, that kind of love to come from your heart to the Father's heart? Are you praying that way? Don't you think there are fellow believers all around that need that kind of prayer from your heart to God's heart for their heart? But now, if the battle is for the hearts and souls of sinners, should we not also pray for the ministry of God's Word? Well, that's the third thing we see in the text. We are to pray for the ministry of God's Word. Now notice verses 19 and 20 here in Ephesians 6. He says in verse 18, praying at all times. And in verse 19, he is saying, praying also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. 
Let me just tell you, if there is one place in which you should focus your prayers, constantly focus, it's right here. Praying for God to bless the ministry of his word. Do you pray for the ministry of God's word? For the minister to have liberty and holy freedom in expounding the sacred scriptures, for the extension of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the ministry of this congregation. Do you pray for that? Or do you just come and forget these things? Is this an integral part of your Christian life? Are you praying that the Lord use us for the conversion of the lost? Are you praying that the Lord use us for the upbuilding of his body? Do you pray before you come to worship, asking the Lord to bless the preaching of the word to your own heart? Larger Catechism 160. It is required of those that hear the word preached that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Examine what they hear by the scriptures, receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God. Meditate and confer of it, hide it in their hearts, and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. It won't happen without prayer. Stuart Custer makes the observation, every preacher needs the enabling power of God to proclaim the word of the gospel as he should. Paul knew that prayer and conversion have a supernatural link in the plan of God. To pray for those who preach the word of God is a blessed ministry in itself. Now there are some of you out there and you've been wondering, what can I do as a ministry to help others in this church? Perhaps there are gifts that you have that you've not yet used and perhaps the Lord will open that opportunity for you. But I can tell you one thing that every one of you can do right now. You can pray for the ministry of the word of God. What can I do? I mean, what, how, how can I help in this great issue of time and eternity and the spread of the good news of Jesus Christ? You can pray for the ministry of the Word of God. What can I do? You can pray. What can I do? Pray, pray, pray. And do we not need in our day and our time a powerful effusion of the Holy Spirit that our lives be motivated and inflamed with spiritual passion? Are you praying for that? Do we not need a change in our culture so that men hear the word of God, that men and women hear once again as for eternity? Are you praying for that? Are you asking God for that? You know, on some occasion, some of you, please read those two volumes written by Arnold Dallimore on the life and ministry of George Whitfield. Please read them. There's a chapter early on in Dallimore's great biography of Whitfield entitled Preaching That Startled a Nation. God raised up Whitfield and others. And their preaching startled this cold, dead, immoral 18th century society of England. From whence did such preaching come? Well, I will tell you. It was kindled by the Holy Spirit and it was stoked by prayer. And you make your way through those powerful two volumes of Whitfield's biography and what do you see? Prayer, 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 
prayer. Whitfield always on his knees pleading for God to bless his preaching. God's people gathering in prayer, prayer, prayer for God's blessing on the ministry of the word of God. And it was for that reason that he was enabled to bear the offense of the cross in that culture and society. What was the secret of a a powerful ministry such as the ministry of Jonathan Edwards in that same time frame? Well, again, kindled by the Spirit, stoked by prayer. So here is the language of Edwards. He says, "True, true grace delights in secret converse with God. So there's Jonathan Edwards, 13 hours a day in his study, studying the Word, counseling people, and you can believe much, much, much of that time on his knees before his wonderful God. Do you not see, each of us, do we not see that your part in the ministry of God's Word is great And manifold, even though few here are called to actually preach. And the greatest part you play is to develop holy lives in communion with God and to pray for the Holy Spirit's blessing upon the ministry of God's Word. That's your calling. And this is something, by God's enablement, you can do. Organize your life so as to do it. Make plans to do it. Don't leave it to a whim, but actually go home, organize your life so that you can pray for God's blessing on the ministry of his word. Spurgeon said, you cannot get out of the church what is not in it. It is well to be weak in self and better still to be nothing. We must have a living church for a living work. And a living church will show itself to be a living church by the warmth and passion of its constant prayers for the blessing of God upon the ministry of His Word. Do you believe that? Spurgeon says, look, you go into a, into a village and there's been snow and there's snow on the houses, snow on some of the roofs but not on others. Why? Well, there is not snow on some of the roofs because there's a fire inside. You get the point? God forbid that we go through the motions with no heart warmth. But may people looking at our lives in Covenant Presbyterian Church see the snows melted, folks. And if you say, I don't know where to begin, I'll tell you, pray for me. Pray for Jeff. Pray for Christopher. Pray that, verses 18 and 19, look at it. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints, and also for me, for me, the preacher, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Pray for your ministers that we may know what to say, 
have opportunity to say it and say it with boldness. Roll out the war map in your prayers. I am so glad that you're praying for Aunt Petunia's hurt foot. You really should. I don't minimize that. You ought to be praying for that. But that's the extent of some of our prayers. Roll out the war map. I'll pray for this, and I'll pray for that, and I'll pray for that country to hear the gospel, and I will pray for that minister in that city that the Lord will bless his ministry. I will pray for that country that the gospel will spread here and that the gospel will spread there. And Paul says, I'm an ambassador in bonds, in chains. What would he have them pray? He doesn't say, pray that I may get out of my chains. Pray that they'll set me free. Now, I think that's a right thing to pray for Pastor Saeed, for example. But that's not the primary thing. He says, pray for the word that I may preach it boldly. Because these chains are giving me an opportunity in God's providence to preach. Can I make that plain enough? Your responsibility and privilege as God's people is to pray for the ministry of the Word. For all the saints and for the world to hear the gospel. And then fourthly, the fourth thing, prayer, the Christian's priority. Prayer, the Christian's priority. Can we not determine from the text that prayer must be our priority? Can you not see that? Some of us have five hours for a television and no time for serious prayer. We exercise, but do we pray? We play, but we do not pray. We work, but we do not pray. Prayer is not just a priority for some people today. We allow the weeds of the world to choke it out. And I hope some of us will become profoundly disturbed about this in our lives. We should recognize that our failure to live a life of prayer is a deep and serious sin against God. And only as we see this will we repent. Growth in grace is not measured by how unaware of sin I am in my life, but by being more and more aware of it and applying the gospel to it, believing and repenting. So if you are not praying, ask for forgiveness and get at it. Change. Turn. Repent. Believe. One old minister referenced the uh, lost battalion in the First World War. In the Argonne, this battalion was cut off and was lost behind enemy lines. For a long period of time, you would read in the, news, in the newspapers and you would, you, would, you would hear in the media of the day about the lost battalion. Where are they? What's going on with them? And they were completely cut off. And when a Christian is like that battalion, because they were greatly decimated as they were cut off from headquarters... When a Christian in conflict with Satan gets out of touch with headquarters, it's a terrible thing. Some of you are out of touch with headquarters. 
Maybe you attempt to check in from time to time, but you're being cut off behind the enemy lines if you aren't praying. You're asking for it. Because all of these pieces of armor that are given to us by God that we expounded last week are to be put on by prayer. Think of Albrecht Durer, Night, Death, and the Devil, that great etching. Do you know it? And you see the celestial city, and there he is going through the woods surrounded by the demonic. But there, the knight, the Christian knight, has his face right on the path. How do you keep your face right on the path if not by prayer? So here's our power, not in ourselves. Our true power is found in true prayer. Now last week there was an illustration from the Pilgrim's Progress in which we saw how with his sword, Pilgrim was able to defeat Apollyon. A few pages before that, in that great allegory of John Bunyan, which all of us should read, piety, prudence, and charity fitted him out with sword, shield, helmet, breastplate, all prayer, and shoes that would not wear out. And Bunyan writes, and there was enough of this, enough of this armor, there was enough of this to harness out as many men for the service of their Lord as there be stars in the heaven for the multitude. In other words, if you are a believer in Christ, all of that armor belongs to you, not to some super Christian, whoever you think that might be, but to you. All of the armor belongs to you, and all prayer belongs to you. This is for every Christian here. And if you are a Christian, the armor is for you, all of it, including all prayer. It's there for you to put on and do battle with Satan and his minions. And oh, how I wish I could convince us of this this morning so that even though we are a prayerful congregation, we would take a great leap in that this morning and become even more prayerful than ever we could have imagined. Oh, I wish I could convince us of that this morning, but only the Spirit of God can do so. May He, may He do so. And God's people said, Amen. I want to say something, this is going to take just a few minutes, but I'm going to say it, that You know, the difference between a true and lively saving faith in Christ and hypocrisy can be found right here in our prayer lives. Let me read something to you from Jonathan Edwards. He says, It is natural to one who is truly born from above to pray to God and to pour out his soul in holy supplications before his heavenly Father. This is as natural to the new nature as life And life as breathing is to the nature and life of the body. But hypocrites have not this new nature. Those illuminations and affections which they had went away and left no change of nature. 
Therefore, prayer naturally dies away in the hypocrite, having no foundation laid in the nature of the soul. It is maintained a while only by a certain force put upon nature, but force is not constant, and as that declines, nature will take place again. The spirit of a true convert is a spirit of true love to God, and that naturally inclines the soul to those duties wherein it is conversant with God and makes it to delight in approaching Him. But a hypocrite hath no such spirit. He is left under the reigning power of enmity against God, which naturally inclines him to shun God's presence. True prayer, says Edwards, is nothing else but faith expressed. But he goes on to say, sinning and praying agree not well together. Sinning and praying agree not well together. If there is someone here and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, we would be delighted to open the Word of God and talk with you about it, about what it means to have a true and lively saving faith in Christ, apart from whom you cannot know the Father. May grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.